0: Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. I read the story of a pastor who was pre, uh, teaching on the passage of Scripture where Jesus said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And he was talking about the various interpretations Uh, Of that passage, and at the end of the uh, the lesson, a lady came up to him afterwards and said, "I bet if Jesus had known all the controversy this passage would have said, he would never have said it." It's a humorous story that illustrates a very real truth. Sometimes there's passages of scripture that are open to various interpretations. Sometimes there are passages of scripture that, if we just be honest we may not understand them this side of heaven, okay? Uh, That's one of the passages we're going to deal with today. We're going to deal with the passage of Scripture. It's one of the hardest passages in the New Testament to understand. Uh, I spent a lot of time working on this uh, passage this week, and so what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to just simplify it down to the easiest way to understand it, uh, and hopefully we can glean some truths from it that will help us in the midst of these times in which we, we live in. Go ahead and open your Bible. to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Uh, this is part 11 in our series on timeless truths and troubling times. Now, I keep reminding you of the title of the series because I want you to remember the context of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of individuals that are going through some ty- terrible times. And they need something they can hang on to; they need some truth that can help them endure the troubling times in which they 're in, and so he keeps reminding them uh, of this these truths in, in the scripture so this morning we 're going to look at first uh, Peter chapter three verses eighteen through twenty two under the heading "Victory in Jesus." I know that title is not original with me; I borrowed it from a title of a, of a hymn uh, y 'all might have recognized it this morning, so uh, Hopefully you can see how it ties into our scripture. Follow along as I read 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people. Eight in all was saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The first thing I want you to examine as we look at this passage, we have victory victory over sin. Look at verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's talking about the work of Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. He's talking about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary to overcome the power of sin in our lives. The first thing I want you to see as we talk about this victory over sin, I want you to look at the action of Jesus on the cross. Now, the truly grasp what Jesus did on the cross, we've got to understand a little bit about the Old Testament sacrificial system. Uh, we've got to understand that Jesus died for sins once for all. But in the Old Testament, it didn't happen that way. In the Old Testament, they had a system of sacrifices that had to go on continually. As a matter of fact, they would go on over and over and over. They would, they would do these sacrifices to receive forgiveness of their sins. But here, Peter reminds his readers, but Jesus died once for all. One time for all time. Now, to truly grasp it, let's spend a little time over in the book of Hebrews. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. And we'll just look at a few passages in Hebrews real fast, all right? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27 says this. Unlike the other high priest, he, he's talking about Jesus here, okay? He, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Now, turn over a couple chapters to chapter 9. We'll look at verses 25 and 26 of Hebrews 9. Nor did he, talking about Jesus again, nor did he, Jesus, enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Skip down to verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. That once is the phrase once for all. Once for all time. So the writer of Hebrews talks about how Jesus' sacrifice is different than the sacrifices in the Old Testament. His was a one-time sacrifice. He shed his bloods and put away our sins forever. He paid the price that we could not pay. And so he was victorious over sin. The righteous dying for the unrighteous. Now look back over at 1 Peter. We'll get back over there. We talked about the action of Jesus on the cross, one time for all time. Now I want you to look at the achievement of Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 18 again. we we'll read it in context. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So well, the reason that he died, the reason he paid the price, was to bring you to God. You see, before Jesus was the cross, sin separated man from God. We no longer had a relationship with God because of our sin. But when Jesus died, he eliminated the separation. He eliminated the separation that existed between God and Man, and it says, "When he did that on the cross, he has the ability to bring us to god and it 's an interesting word that he uses here when he talks about this this idea of bringing uh, because it, it's the actual word is a word that 's used of an official function in the palace of the king, and the person that would do this is one who would bring people into the presence of the king. Uh, That's what his job was, was to introduce people to the king to make sure that they were ready, to make sure that they they had the proper uh, attire, the, the, the proper cleaning, whatever it was, so they could enter in to the presence of the king. So Jesus, get this, Jesus is the one who ushers us in to the very presence of the king. He's the one that does that. It, it kind of gives a new significance to the verse, John fourteen six, when Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. So in other words, Jesus introduces us to the king. Jesus is the one that makes it possible for us to enter into the presence of the king. He went to the cross, died for our sins to bring us to God. Listen, there is no other way for people to meet God than through Jesus. There aren't many ways to get there. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said He is the way, the only way to get there. Some people like to say that there are are many ways to get to heaven. There's just different paths you have to take. They said it's kind of like flying to New York City. They said if you go down to the airport, there's many airlines that fly to New York City and there's many flights that will take you to New York City. It doesn't matter which airline you fly. It doesn't matter which flight you get on. They're all going to take you to New York City. However, there's a flaw with that, uh, with that understanding. We're not talking about getting to New York City. We're talking about getting to heaven. That's where the difference is. And the Bible says, Jesus says, I alone am the only way you're going to get to heaven. I'm the only one that's going to do it. He says, I'm the one who brings you into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, God Almighty. So we see that the victory over sin that Jesus gives us, let's look second at the victory over sin. The grave, look at the last part of verse 18. It says, he was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. Now you will remember that when Jesus died, they placed him in a borrowed tomb. And he was there for three days. He was put to death. Peter wants us to know he was put to death. He was in the grave for three days. However, notice what Peter says. Even though he was put to death in the body, he was made alive by the spirit. He was made alive by the spirit. So even though his body may have died, his spirit lived. You remember the, when Jesus died up on the cross, what did he say? He said, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into my hands I commit my spirit. So even though his body died, his physical body died, his spirit was no longer contained within that body, so he was free to move around. He was free because he was no longer limited by time or by space because his spirit had been set free from that vehicle, that vessel that contained it. And then verse 19 says this. Through, let's go back and read verse 8 again. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, during the time that he was out of his body, during the time that his body was in the grave, Jesus took a journey, and he proclaimed a message. Uh, He proclaimed a message. Uh, This is where uh, the passage gets real difficult, Okay. This is where we move into some difficulty, in this passage, trying to understand it. I spent a lot of hours on this passage, so I'm going to try to, I'm giving it to you in about, I think on my sermon, it's about, uh, about three-quarters of a page, okay? Uh, so uh, I'm going to try to give it to you as easy as I can understand it. So he goes and he proclaims to uh, the spirits that are in prison. The first question we have to ask is, who are these spirits in prison? Verse 20 tells us, that these spirits who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So these spirits in prison are associated with the time before the flood. So who are they? Who are these individuals? Uh, some say that they're lost souls before Christ, but they can't be lost souls before Christ because they're definitely attributed to the time pre flood. This happened before the flood some say these are angels or they say they are the sons of man affiliated with Genesis chapter 6 when the sons of god and the sons of man uh, had had uh, sexual the daughters of men and the sons of god had uh, sexual relations in that sense however i don't think that's the case because nowhere in scriptures are angels ever called sons of god nowhere in scriptures is it ever say that. So I, I don't think that, that's, that's fair to say that. Uh, these, are, these beings that we're talking about here are some type of angelic being that roamed the earth during the time of the pre-flood. These are the angels, spiritual beings that roamed around during the time that Noah was building the ark while God was waiting patiently for people to turn to him because it says that Noah preached. Noah proclaimed the message for all those years. So these are some type of angelic beings that roamed the earth during that time. So what was the situation of the earth during the time of Noah? Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7 tell us, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord is grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. So these individuals who roamed the earth, these spiritual beings who roamed the earth, they had influence upon the people during the time pre-flood and after the flood, they were placed in some type of prison. Uh, some type of, uh, of prison. And it says that Jesus went there and he preached to them. Okay, that's the second question we're going to ask. What did Jesus preach? Did he preach to save those in prison? Well, we know that's not true because angelic beings, spiritual beings, cannot be saved. Uh, they, can't, they, they, they can't do that. The key word to understand is the word preached. There's two words in the Bible for preach. The first word talks about to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's not the word used here. The word used here is the word of an official announcement. It's the, it's the herald of a king uh, making the announcement of the king. So so it, it's making an announcement on behalf of the king. So Jesus, during the time uh, of before the resurrection... He made a descent into this place, in this prison, where these spirit beings were. And while he was there, he proclaimed a truth. He proclaimed some message to them. So what did he proclaim? What message did he proclaim? Uh, This is what I believe that he proclaimed. He, He cried out to those people there. He said, I want you to know that your plan did not work. You did not stop God's plan of redemption. You did not stop God's plan of salvation. I paid the price. I paid the price for that. Your kind may have killed my body. Your kind may have think thought that they won, but I want you to know something. I want you to know something. In 3 days, I'm going to rise again. In 3 days, I'm going to rise again, and you will know at that time that you've lost. You will know it. You've lost. Your kind may have killed my body, but they could not kill my spirit. He's, I am victorious over the grave. And the grave has no power, the grave has no authority over me. Now, with the mention of Noah, Peter chases a holy rabbit. Can we say that? Uh, he, he chases a holy rabbit. With the mention of Noah, here's what he's doing he draws his comparison. He says, this is what I'm wanting my people to grasp. Noah lived during some troubling times. Uh, God did not have any influence in the world during the time of Noah except through Noah and his family. That's all it was. People were doing whatever they wanted to do. Uh, They were rebelling. They were rebuking. uh, they, they uh, They were living in defiance to God. God had no influence. So God told Noah to build an ark. And he said, Noah, you're going to build an ark, and inside that ark, you will be protected. Peter says in this passage that, they were, that in, in, it only, in, in the ark, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. They were saved through water. Peter's saying the ark equals salvation. The water did not save the people, did not save Noah. God saved Noah. God saved them. They were saved through the water. The water was the judgment that God was sending upon the earth, but it was the ark which saved Noah and his family from the judgment of God. And here's the point of comparison that Peter's trying to make. Jesus died on the cross, and he went through the waters of judgment for you, and he went through the waters of judgment for me. He becomes our ark of salvation. Everybody who comes to Jesus will be protected from the wrath that is about to come into the world. God says, I'm going to bring judgment upon the world, just as I did back in Genesis. I'm going to bring judgment. And all of those who will enter into the ark, enter into my ark of salvation, will be saved through the wrath. They'll be saved from it. Peter now brings that illustration to the New Testament with an understanding of baptism now some people look at this passage and they believe that uh, this proves that baptism saves them but in this context you have to understand water represents wrath water represents the wrath of God the ark represents God's salvation so water is wrath ark is salvation water bad, ark good we have to think of it in that way Noah and the seven people with him were saved because they listened to God's command to enter the ark. It wasn't the ark that saved them. It was their obedience to God to enter the ark. They were saved from the wrath of God in the ark. Here's the point of comparison for you and I. When we are in Christ, we are saved from the wrath of God. When we are in Christ, we are saved from what is about to happen in the world. Peter says as much in verse 21. Look at what he says. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. He's saying the ark did not save Noah God saved them, but they proved their faith that God could save them by entering into the ark, which then provided for the salvation. It's the same thing with us. God saves us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we enter into his protection and we're saved from the wrath. You see, salvation is something that happens on the inside. Baptism is something that happens on the outside. Something that happens on the outside cannot bring about change on the inside. It has to be a work of God on the inside. The baptism is simply an outward testimony of the truth that we have in our life. It's a visible symbol that we have placed our faith in Christ. He says, why? Because it's the resurrection that saves you. It's the resurrection that gives you victory over Christ. The grave. Remember the context. What's the context? These individuals are going through some times of trouble. They're being killed, they're being persecuted, they're being asked to deny their faith, they're suffering, they're they're being persecuted, they're dying. But Peter is saying, listen, even if you die, even if you die in the midst of these troubling times, I want you to know there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing that's going to keep you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Even if you die, yet you shall live. So we too can echo the words of Paul. Death has been swallowed up in the grave. Where, oh, death? Is your sting? Where, O grave, is your victory? We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear because we know they can kill this mortal body, but they cannot kill the spirit. They cannot. And we can have victory over the grave. So Peter says we can have victory over, there's victory over evil. Because of Jesus, there's victory over the grave. Finally, he says, because of victory over sin, victory over the grave, we can also have victory over evil. Look at verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now Peter's going to the ascension that happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. He's talking about the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. The words used here when he talks about he has he gone into heaven and the other word where it said he went and preached in the prisons. It's the same word. He went on a journey. As he went in the journey and preached to those spirits wherever they were in prison, he's now went on a journey up into heaven. He's ascended back to the Father. He's gone to heaven. He went on a journey. What a journey it was! And Peter witnessed that. He saw him ascending into heaven. But here's the main point. It says in the scripture that now Jesus has complete victory over demonic forces. I don't misunderstand what Peter's saying. Jesus was never subject to demonic forces. He always had dominion. He always had power over them. He said, but now, because he's triumphed over sin, because he's triumphed over the grave, guess what? They no longer have dominion over those who come to him. They no longer have power over you. They no longer have influence over you because they now are subject to Jesus and they cannot Hurt, they cannot harm those who are his. So, as Christians, listen, as Christians, we don't live this, we're not struggling for victory, we struggle from victory. We're already victorious. And we can cry out with the Apostle Paul. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is the timeless truth that you need to hang on to. As you're living in these troubling times, as you're living through these times of testing, you need to hang on the truth that God is for you, He's not against you. Whatever this world may throw at us, whatever this world is able to do to us, we can live boldly and we can live and know that our future is secure. Our home in heaven is secure because he won the victory. We too have won the victory. Jesus won the victory. Have you won the victory? You know, I, I thought about that this week. What do we do when we when we when we win a victory? You know, like maybe the bears beat somebody up. Uh, you know, important. What do we we celebrate? Don't we? We we we, we holler out. You do yeah We holler out. You know, we, we celebrate or or maybe when you know the Astros. They didn't win this year, but maybe when the Astros won the uh, the game, or maybe you're a Boston Red Sox fan when they won the their, the conference, or when the Dodgers won the conference. Last night, I stayed up late, first time in a long time. I actually, watched a full basketball game of the Mavericks, and the Mavericks won. I went woohoo! We won! We won! We celebrate! Oh well, we got well. We won. No, what do we do? We celebrate, don't we? Isn't that what we do? We celebrate the victory. Shouldn't we be doing the same thing with the victory we have in Jesus? We ought to be celebrating the victory. I I think every Sunday ought to be a dance—a dance lesson. Ooh, thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! We celebrate the victory. You see, when you begin to understand the truth of this passage, you'll be able to say, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that you have victory in Jesus? In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation and give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard today. Maybe today is the day that you need to put yourself in Christ. And say, Today is the day I'm going to be saved from the wrath that is to come because I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ, my ark of salvation. And I too will have victory over sin, over the grave, and over evil because of what Jesus has done for me. Kip's going to come and lead us in a song. Marilyn's going to come and play. I think Cassie's going to come and play. They're going to come up. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray. Maybe God is leading you to make a decision. We'll invite you to come as I lead us in prayer.